I got good news for you. When you decided to follow Jesus, you became the people of the cross. Men and women who have decided to follow Jesus are people of the cross. And we are in a series where we are talking about the people of the cross all over the world. Right now, a million people, one million people every year are experiencing persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. Every year, a million people are being persecuted. And I don't mean like going through a tough time economically or a tough time relationally. I mean they are being killed. They are being separated from family members. They are being thrown in prison simply because they refuse to deny that Jesus Christ is Lord. If there was ever a time for the church to realize and come awake that we are in the end times and Jesus is coming back soon, it is right now. We are in one of the most exciting times to be alive as the church because as the world gets darker, the church shines brighter with his love, his hope, his compassion. Our best days are not behind us. They are in front of us. Nonetheless, during this series, we want to get our hearts and our eyes fixed on what does God require of us here in America, here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. While other people all over the world are being persecuted for their faith, persecution is coming closer and closer to this nation. And so we have to make a decision to stand. Last week we talked about we are a mission-minded church. If, how many of y'all were here last Sunday, last weekend? If you missed it, get the CD, the DVD, watch it online, get the podcast. Our podcast is up. It is a powerful message of our response as a church to missions. That we remember those who are in chains for preaching the gospel. That's scripture. We remember those who are sharing the gospel, risking their lives. We pray for them. Talked about the power of prayer. We sow into missions. Last week, we sowed. We sent 220 missionaries from this church out into uh, Peru, Jamaica, Mexico, Los Angeles Dream Center to go and carry the gospel, Bruce Mal. Come on, Jesus. That's powerful right there. But we sow into missions. And... On Monday, I got a text message from my brother-in-law, Caleb, who pastors Victor Orlando. He said, Paul, one of the missionaries we support in Cambodia, his church was just burned to the ground. He said, I'm asking you to pray if, if your church, if our church, Victory Tulsa and Victor Orlando, can go in together with a few other churches and so into helping them because the government was going to throw them into prison this past week uh, for a certain amount. They were asking because of this building not being completely paid off. Well, as a church, we were able to sow, to help in this whole big thing with many other churches. Praise God that we're able to help this pastor and we're going to continue helping him because he is still fighting this battle right now with the government. And that's just one of thousands of stories of people on a daily basis that are fighting against ISIS, fighting against uh, 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 radical Islam, Boko Haram, in all nations where, where you see behind me these colored dots represent nations where persecution is happening. They are beheading Christians. They are shooting them simply because they do not want these people to spread the gospel. Where you see white dots, this, this represents the missionaries we support on a monthly basis. Can we give it up for all the missionaries that are part of Victory? North America, South America, Central Africa, Eastern Europe, Europe, Asia, Australia. That we are spreading the gospel as a church. We sow into these missions. And then we talked about going and then carrying the cross. And we're going to pick back up on that today. Would you stand? And if you have a Bible, pick it up with you. Go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We stand for the reading of the word. If you're new to victory, we're so glad that you're with us. It's going to be a powerful time. Spring break this week. Come on, somebody. Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to him, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross annually and follow me. Daily. Come on, church. Say daily. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man or woman if he or she gains the whole world and yet they themselves are destroyed or lost? What profit is if you, if you gain the whole world? You get everything you want. You get to do whatever you want to do. You make all the money you want, but you lose your soul in the process. And this is such an important message today. The title of the message is Die to Live. Die to Live. That's the, that's the call that Christ has for all of us is that we would die so we can truly live. And he says this is a daily thing. This isn't just one time in your life that you surrender to Christ and then you're good. It is a daily choice to surrender to Jesus so we can truly live. And so right now we're going to do a victory confession and we're going to put it on the screen. It's a confession of faith. It's a confession that God isn't finished with you yet. It's a confession that he wants to do something in you and that your best days are in front of you. So let's say this together on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Lord, we thank you that we have victory. God, speak to us today. Let us leave today refreshed, encouraged, challenged, renewed in our minds and in our spirits. Lord, let us be reminded of our purpose here on this earth, that it is bigger than us. And God, we are part of a big picture, that the gospel must be preached to all nations. And God, let us become more like you. Lord, let us be surrendered to you today. Do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said... All right, give somebody a high five. Say, die to live, baby. Die to live. Come on. Well, I am thankful to have my little baby boy, Liam, in service with me right now. Hey, buddy. And uh, Liam lately has been uh, walking. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> hey, buddy. Want to say something? Okay, one of the things, what's so funny is Liam has two things that he strongly resists right now. He's getting uh, more and more active and squirmy and, and likes to wrestle with daddy. And uh, two of the things that he has a hard time letting mom and dad do is, number one, when he finds a remote control in the house, he holds on to that thing for dear life. He will wrestle and play tug of war with us because he loves holding the remote control. Number two, the thing that Liam is having a hard time accepting right now is when he has a dirty diaper and we need to change it. And so this, are you guys even watching? You guys are just totally like tuned in on Liam. Like this, this is going over your heads. He is so cute. I love this little guy. I'm going to let Ashley take him. Give it up for this little man. I'm, I'm thankful for our nursery, all the babies. We, we are so glad for all the babies in this place, the future of the church. But I think about this last week, we were um, going to a basketball game, Victory Christian Boys and Girls. We were going to cheer them on. And I want to give all our basketball teams a big hand for having a great season and working so hard this year. On the way to the game, we stopped to get some coffee, and we were, it was in Oklahoma City, and so Ashley said, hey, this is a great time uh, for you to bond with Liam, he was in the car, and I'll go get us coffee, and by the way, he needs his diaper changed, and I was like, I think this is a great time for you to bond with Liam, and I'll go get us coffee, because, you know, you're better at that. She said, no, no, this is really good, you know, he saved up a good one for you. 
it was stinking up the car. It was like a fully loaded number two diaper. And so I, I, it was pouring down rain, and there was no diaper changing station in the coffee shop. And so I started trying to change him in the car, reached behind me, and I opened up the car seat. And right when I opened it up, he starts doing this shuffle thing across the back seat. <laughs> and he's like giggling, laughing. I was like, okay, that's real cute. No, stop. In the name of Jesus, I command you to be still. I have to change your diaper. Like, it was not funny. And he's shouting and screaming and giggling. And he starts, like, moving all around the car. And he's 14 and a half months, so he's starting to move faster now. So he starts doing, like, somersaults in the car. And he starts, like, trying to get away from Daddy and moving around on all the chairs and all this stuff. And so finally, I pin him down to one of the seats. And I'm, like, praying in the name of Jesus. And so he starts screaming. And I get half his diaper off, and he flips over in another chair. And it's getting over everything. And I... I'm like frustrated and trying to be a Christian and I'm getting out the baby wipes and start trying to rub the chairs and then I open the door because it was just getting stuffy and hot in there and the rain, the wind starts blowing the rain into the car, onto the dirty diaper, onto me, onto, and it was just miserable. <laughs> and uh, finally he let me change his dirty diaper and he got really like calm after I changed, it took it like 20 minutes and then it took Ashley 20 minutes to get the coffee. I think she was watching somewhere, just like laughing. Well, let's give it up for the moms, though. Moms, you guys do a great job. Us dads, we don't really do all the work that the moms do for the babies. But she comes out there, and Liam's super calm. This is a picture of Liam after I changed his diaper. He got super calm and innocent. Ashley was like, oh, he's so sweet. Look at him. I said, no, no, no. He put up a strong wrestling match with daddy for that diaper change. And I started thinking, this is how God looks at us sometimes. That oftentimes we wrestle and play tug of war with God for the control in our lives. That it is a daily choice to surrender to his will, his plan, to be obedient. And oftentimes the two things we struggle with is the remote control and the changing of the dirty diaper. Because all of us get dirty diapers at times. All of us need to be clean, need to be washed, need to be renewed in our minds, in our attitudes, in our spirits. And yet, sometimes we struggle to let God do His work in us. When you got saved, two things happened, really three things. One, you received salvation, freely given from Christ when you believed in Him. Two, you got justified, justification. That happened right then and there, that you were justified because of what Jesus did on the cross. You were forgiven once for all, right there. The third thing that happened was sanctification. Sanctification is a three-part process. It happens at the beginning of getting saved, but then it happens the rest of your life leading up to when you go to heaven. And then once you get to heaven, the final part of sanctification is concluded when you see Christ face to face. And we'll preach a sermon on that sometime. But today, I want to talk about that part while you're here on earth and you've decided to put your faith in Jesus and yet daily, it is a tempting struggle to hold on to control and to hold on to your life when Christ calls us to die daily. The people of the cross are not just people that are in Cambodia, Myanmar, uh, on the border of North Korea. The people of the cross are right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You are the people of the cross. But what is the requirement to be the people of the cross? It is to die daily to yourself. And I started looking at what are, what are these missionaries and people, martyrs, known for their statements, their quotes 
uh, for saying before they either died or gave their life, uh, to, or died or have continued giving their life on the mission field to serve and share the gospel. And just a few quotes. This comes from a man named James Calvert who decided to become a missionary to the cannibals in the Fiji Islands. This was over 100 years ago. And there was a ship that was dropping him off. And the captain of the ship looked at James Calvert and he said, Listen, you are going to lose your life and the lives of those who are with you among these savages. You can turn back now. And James Calvert replied to him. He said, We died before we ever came here. I thought, man, that's a powerful statement. Because there's a death that must happen in all of us before we actually physically die in this earth if we ever want to experience real life. There is a death that must happen. In fact, a week ago, a pastor sat down with me who doesn't go here, goes somewhere else, ministers somewhere else, and he said, Paul, I've watched you grow up. And he said, I can say that you experienced a death that very few pastors and people your age and even in general experience. He said, you went through some tough times when you lost your dad. I watched how you respond. When you battled some personal things that were going on and then things through the church. He said, something died in you and it was so beautiful to watch. He said, because I knew you before a lot of the storms, but you're a different man. Something died on the inside. And he said, don't lose that. And as he was saying, I started crying because I thought, Lord, I don't ever want to pull back up the dead me. Lord, I don't ever want to make this about me. God, I want my life to be for your glory, not for mine, not my agenda, not my way or will or pride or ego or platform, but you. And as he was saying, he said, Paul, if you don't continue to die daily, you will lose the work that Christ is doing in you. And listen, he wasn't saying you're going to lose your salvation. He was saying you're going to go backwards in the process of becoming more like Christ. Because it's not just a one-time surrender. It is a daily surrendering to Him. We can't just uh, brag about our trophies of the past of doing something great for God and sacrificing for God and be stuck on what happened 20 years ago and not continue to daily allow God to have His work and His will and His way in our lives. That's how the people of the cross live. Another martyr named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a very controversial man who uh, stood up to Hitler during the time of the Nazi regime and they were killing Jews. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And it's such a powerful quote. He said, when Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die. That's a powerful statement right there. That's an exciting Sunday morning sermon. Come and die. He said the call to die is to abandon the attachments of this world. It's the dying of the old man, which is the result of an encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. It's a daily choice to surrender to God. Another missionary, Jim Elliott, who died giving his life with four friends to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. He said this. He said, God, I pray that you would light these idle sticks of my life. May I burn for you. Consume my life, God, for it is yours. It is thine. He said, Lord, I seek not a long life, but a full one like you. That should be our prayer, church. We don't want just long lives, although a long life would be great. But a long life without Christ is empty. What profit is it if a man lives a hundred years, but none of them are for Christ? What profit is it if you gain the whole world, but lose your soul? And so, like Jim Elliott prayed, Lord, I seek not just a long life, but a full one like you, God. 
a life like Christ is a life of surrender. By the way, our lives are not just meant to be successful. It's great to be successful, but if your success doesn't, doesn't uh, include surrender, then it's really not success. God is not attracted to your success. He's attracted to your surrender. He's not impressed with how great you are apart from Him. He's, he's more attracted to how much you need Him and all the things He's called you to do. He is attracted to your surrender. So how do we die? How do we die daily? I want to give you real quickly five ways to die daily. And Paul said to put to death these things. In fact, before I give you the, the first one, let me give you a scripture. Romans chapter 8. So that way this, this all makes sense. Romans chapter 8. Verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, there is no condemnation. You are in a church that is condemnation free. You are part of a message of Jesus that has set you free from shame and the guilt trips that the devil tries to throw on you daily for not being good enough. Through Christ Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. You have overcome sin. You are free from your past. He says there's no condemnation, but here's the key. Being in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does that mean? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, when you accepted Christ, you got free from how you used to live. The bondage and the slavery to your selfish, fleshly ways. That's why if we don't die the death in this life that we need to die before we die, we won't experience the true life after this life that's awaiting us. We have to daily allow the power of Christ to set us free from the power of sin and death that tries to cling to us and hold to us. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 8 verse 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, if you die, you will live. If you die to your fleshly desires, you will truly die. Live. So five ways to die. Number one, we die to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. It's that attitude, that mindset that says, I saved me. I'm a self-saved man. I worked my way into heaven. I did all my good deeds. Jesus points this out in Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, you can't save you with all your great religious acts. You can only be truly saved by coming into the kingdom as a child, being born again. And so he, he talks to him, and Paul, the same way. Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul, and Saul was this religious man who had all these great religious acts, and, and Jesus stands in front of Saul and says, Saul, stop. You can't do this on your own. You are persecuting the one who actually paid the price for you to have salvation. And so we have to die to our self Righteousness, and what does that mean? And Isaiah says that our self-righteous acts are as filthy rags. We can't do this on our own. We need Jesus. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything you need. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. In other words, he finished the work that, that requires for you to be saved. In him we are saved. In him we are justified and sanctified. And it is a surrender to him daily. To allow him to do his work. I remember when I was a kid, I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I look forward to going back again with Liam. 
But I remember going and working so hard to get my Chuck E. Cheese tickets. And I would take these big strands of tickets and lay them on the counter. I want a teddy bear. You know, I want a slinky. I want, you know, a whoopee cushion. Whatever you can get me for this amount of tickets. Wouldn't it be dumb if I took the Chuck E. Cheese tickets to a car lot when I was 17 and said, I would like to buy a car. They would laugh at those Chuck E. Cheese tickets. But for some reason, we do this with Jesus with our religious points. Look at what I've done. I am so good all by myself. I will look at myself while I talk to myself. Look at my awesome points, my religious actions here. And Jesus says, hold on, your religious deeds are filthy. You need me. You need Jesus. And that's the, that's the gospel right there. The great gospel is that Jesus paid for our sins. And so our testimony on defeating the devil is by the blood of the Lamb. It's in Him that we boast, not ourselves. Number two, we die to pride. Pride. Pride says it's me. It's, it's I'm right, you're wrong. Pride has a hard time apologizing to anybody. Pride says, I, I'm always right. I'm better than you. Pride has a hard time sharing the spotlight with anyone else. Pride has a hard time noticing the hurting people that are around you. And so you're, you're always consumed and focused on yourself. By the way, every single day, one million selfies are posted on social networks. That is a lot of us, right? We live in a world that celebrates ourselves. And it's okay to celebrate yourself. Just don't forget it's not about you. The world does not revolve around you. And, and yet our world wants us to buy into this prideful mentality, this prideful attitude. It's me, it's me, it's me. I don't need to apologize. They need to apologize to me. I don't need to step out and do something. What about me? And, and pride is such a toxic way to live. Pride gets in the way of the people to cross. By the way, pride won't fit into heaven. Pride was kicked out of heaven when Lucifer was kicked out. Pride just simply won't make it into the gates of heaven. So why wait till you get to heaven to deal with pride? Why not deal with it today and say, let's kill this thing now. Let's bury this thing today. Let pride die inside you. How do you kill it? You do the opposite of pride. What's the opposite? Humility. Paul says, let us humble ourselves in servanthood to each other. Let us deny our flesh and let us serve one another in humility with the attitude of Christ Jesus. So we're talking about getting rid of pride and buying into and, and coming alive to. Dying to pride means coming alive to humility. Alive to humility. John said in John 3 verse 30, I must decrease, he must increase. I must become less, he must become more. Right? So that's how we die to pride. Number three, we die to selfishness. We die to selfishness. Selfishness is different than pride. Selfishness is all about what's in it for me. What can I get out of this? What are you going to do for me? And listen, I am preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you because I was born as the last kid in the family, the baby of the family. And so selfishness on a daily basis tries to hold me back from serving, tries to hold me back from being generous, tries to hold me back from, from uh, sharing the spotlight, sharing, uh, being a team player. Selfishness will try to control Christians and will hold you back from being a person of the cross. If you're going to be a person of the cross, it requires you to die daily to selfishness. You can't serve God's calling on your life and hold on to a selfish mentality, right? Holding on, playing tug of war with God, my life. 
I want control of my money. My money, money, money. <laughs> right? This is my future, my career, my relationship. And maybe you're single and maybe you're dating someone and God's saying, hold on here. Before you rush into things, Holy Spirit speaking some things to you. My relationship, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my sin, my stuff. And Jesus is trying to change your dirty diaper and you're throwing this fit. And he's saying, listen, if you want to be a person of the cross, it starts right here, right now. You don't move to Cambodia to become a person of the cross. You start in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in your house, in your marriage, in your family, on your campus, in your relationship, the way you treat others. Die to selfishness. By the way, selfishness is the leading cause of divorce. What's in it for me? You're not paying enough attention to me. You didn't do this for me. What about me? Me, 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 me. Me, myself, and I. And it kills us. If you don't kill it, it will kill you. That's, that's the key for today. If you don't kill these things, these things will kill you because the wages of sin is death. And we look at sin, and we got all these big sin words. You know what sin is? It's selfishness. Well, let me just make it really practical. Sin is a daily consumption of your selfish desires. It is pleasing yourself at the cost of denying what Jesus asks us to do. So if we're going to be people of the cross, we got to die daily to selfishness. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, let's, let's look to Jesus. He goes on to say, let's put to death these selfish ambitions, these desires to want to do what we want to do. He goes on to say, putting away all of this junk. And by the way, the next point really flows out of Colossians chapter 3. And that is that we got to die to lust. Everybody say lust. Lust is not just sexual immorality. Lust is sin. It's doing the thing you know God has forbidden you to do. And, and sin is enticing, right? Sin, sometimes the illusion of sin looks more enjoyable than whatever God is offering for you to do. Whatever invitation is for the cross, sometimes sin, the illusion of it, the mirage, it makes it look like it's going to be better. Because sin promises you everything but leaves you with nothing. Lust promises to satisfy all your desires. And that's why Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13, Jeremiah said, hey, my people, the people of God have done two things. They've forsaken the source of living water, the fountain, and they've dug for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water at all. He was referring to people leaving God to pursue their fleshly, lustful desires. They're going after broken cisterns. But, but we don't see it. We think it's somehow going to satisfy us, and so we leave the fountain of, of living water. Jesus is enough. And we think that we're going to get satisfaction or fulfillment from this adulterous affair or from this fornication or from this pornography or from lying or cheating or stealing or doing the things that we know we're not supposed to do. And we think that somehow it's going to satisfy us. And, and Jesus is like, hey, I'm not asking you to take up your cross because it's going to be a miserable life. I'm asking you to take up your cross because it is so much more fulfilling than living for your flesh. You think the joy and the excitement and the satisfaction of life is found in lust? It's not. It's empty. Anyone who's been in that lifestyle long enough knows, well and good, that thing is empty. 
But see, in Oklahoma, we get this because we love to fish. And James chapter 1 says, don't be deceived or enticed by the allurement of sin. And so he's really referring to like a, like a hook, like a fishing rod, right? And the devil kind of dangles this in front of us. And James is saying the devil loves to try and entice you. Don't be fooled by the dangling. Of, Look at that. Come on, take that money. Money, money, money. Money. You know you want it. You know you want it. You could get it anytime you want. It is right over here. And it may not be a dollar because if you're not biting this bait, he'll find the bait that you want to bite. It's not like he gives up just because you don't bite this bait. He just pulls it back in and says, oh, you don't want mine? All right, let me put a picture of a naked person on there, all right? So the devil starts putting it. Don't, don't act like I'm being all bad in here. You know that this is the devil's <laughs> tactics. He'll put it in front of you and try to get you to go after it. Come on. Come on. When are you going to get You know you want this. And the devil puts this in front of us. And he tries to entice us. And James says, hold on. This is a foolish distraction. Don't be deceived. See it for what it is. This is empty. But this isn't even a real reflection of what's happening in 2015. Because we're not just dealing with like a fishing rod. Man, this, this sin is around us daily. It's in front of our eyes everywhere I look. It's like, seriously, can I get a break? It is always in my face. I am bombarded with temptation. Don't lie. You know it is always around you, trying to get you. St. Patty's is coming up. You know you want to taste it. You know you want to do it. And it's like the devil just bombards us with sin. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we escape the fatal attractions of the world <laughs> here's how we do it Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 he says fixing your eyes on Jesus yeah. fix your eyes on Jesus the author the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm almost done, but listen, it's so important. Because practically, we, we could get so excited about listening to sermons about other people who are enduring pers persecution, who are going through pain. But then we miss the point of the message. Because the point is not about glorifying someone else in another century who died for the faith. The point of the message is to take the principles to take the lifestyle, the attitude, the mindset that permeated these people and say, we've got to do this. And the key, Jesus said, the foundational verse for this whole series, you must die daily to take up your cross. How do we get rid of the fatal attractions that are always in front of our eyes? We fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't know if this ever happened to you when you've been driving down the road and you are so focused, like zoned in on where you're going. And, and hours later, someone runs into you and they're like, hey, I saw you on the road. I was waving, honking my horn, trying to get your attention, and you were like ignoring me. And you're like, no, no, I wasn't ignoring you. I was just focused. Like, I'm sorry, I was zoned in. I had my mind on something. I was going somewhere. I didn't look to the left or to the right. This is how God wants us to live in regards to sin. That we're not distracted because we're focused on something that's greater. We're focused on something that's more powerful, more meaningful. And so this kind of stuff, it's like you look at it and you're like, oh, 
Broken cistern. Absolutely a broken cistern. Broken cistern. Broken cistern. This stuff doesn't own me. This stuff doesn't control me. Because my eyes are fixed on Jesus. He's greater. When you get a taste of Jesus, and band, I want you to come up as I get ready to close. When you get a taste of Jesus, all the things of this world, they lose their power. Like they're just not that controlling. Because you start seeing them for what they really are. It's a Barbie doll, right? You start looking at this stuff and, and the addictions that used to hold you, they no longer hold you. I remember whenever I was younger, I'd gotten a hamster, and this hamster was like a good friend of mine. He was my pet. I loved him. And he died. And, and I asked my mom, I said, Mom, I really want to mount the hamster on the wall. He's been a good friend. And she said, what? She was confused. Like, seriously? I said, yeah. And she said, um, no, we're not going to mount the hamster on the wall. Paul, he died. We're going to bury the hamster. And... I said, well, can I just keep him in his cage and keep him in my room? She said, death stinks. It's going to stink up your room. And I just wanted to look at the hamster. I just wanted to remember it. And I think this is how we are sometimes with dying to our flesh is that we mount it up on the wall. We want to look and remember the good old days. We want to stare and still smell that whiskey, still smell those cigarettes. Ah, oh, I miss those days. Still want to look at the images you used to look at on the screen and you 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 don't instead of burying the dead man you bring him into your room and then you start to pull out that dead corpse you start to pet it and jesus is like seriously this is a dead corpse bury it don't just bury it in your backyard go to an abandoned field far from here get that thing under the ground and never go back again because that thing is dead that is a dead life the wages of sin are death, and the lifestyle of sin is death. It is so empty. And when you start seeing it for what it really is, and you realize that the people of the cross and the lifestyle of carrying the cross is such a greater invitation than the invitation to sin, all of a sudden you experience greater joy. And the fifth thing we die to is this right here. We die to anger. Anger. Anger is that resentment, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, that you owe me mentality. I've never forgotten what you did to me. Yeah, I forgave you, but I didn't forget it. Forgiveness isn't real if you're still holding on to the memory. Forgiveness is only complete when you choose to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to give you the power to stop replaying those memories of what they did to you. Get rid of the DVD of it, that mental DVD. Just get it out. Paul, it's hard. They hurt me. They stole my idea. They fired me from the company. They let me go. You don't know what they did, Paul. I mean, I just can't let go of that. Well, listen, in heaven, bitterness doesn't make it through the gates. Unforgiveness simply does not fit in a heaven full of forgiveness. Okay, okay, well then give me a clause. How many times do I have to forgive people? Five, six, seven times? Jesus says 70 times 7. Okay, that's about 400. And no, 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 you don't get it. Unconditional forgiveness. What about my persecutors? Can't I just pray that their kids' heads are crashed against the stones like a Davidic psalm? I just want to go Old Testament on some of these people that have been hurting me. 
Jesus says, oh, the persecutors, the people that are killing you, the people that are killing other believers, you, you want to pray for them? Let me tell you how to pray for them. Pray for God's grace to save them, to wake them up. Pray that they would turn to him. Pray for those who hurt you. And if they ask you for a tunic, go ahead and give them the coat. And if they ask you to go a mile with them, go a second mile. Wait, what? I'm not allowed to hold on to any anger towards anybody? Well, you can hold on to anger towards the devil. But when it comes to a brother or sister, this is the time right now. We've got to be the church that gets rid of prejudice, racism, bigotry, all of that junk, all of that anger, that unforgiveness. It is dead. As a believer, you died to anger once for all. Don't pull the corpse back out. Get rid of it. It's not worth it. Anger will kill you. You know, the, the, the final act of anger is murder. We see that through Cain's life. The, the more he let anger fester in his life, Cain finally just so angry at his brother. The final act of anger is murder. If you don't get rid of anger, if you don't kill anger today, anger will kill you and a lot of people along the way. And it will ruin relationships. And so Jesus invites us, hey, die to anger. Your response is really a powerful display of whether you have anger or not to situations that may be unfair. You might be mistreated. I think about Stephen in the book of Acts, one of the first martyrs after Jesus went up to heaven. While he was getting hit by people who were throwing stones at him, cursing at him, his response was, Lord, do not charge them with this. What a response of forgiveness. What a response of grace. Here these people are killing him. And he responds, Lord, do not charge them with this. In other words, Lord, save these men from their blindness that's causing them to kill in the name of a different God. Help them to see Jesus. That day, Saul was there watching. He was nodding his head. You can kill this man, Stephen. The day came where Saul had an inward death, the death that all of us must have. And Saul died to Saul, and he became Paul. Got a new name, a new attitude, a new mindset. And the day came where Paul got bit. Because all of us in this life, we will either get hit or bit by someone or something that's unfair. Someone betrays you. Someone does something to you. Your ex, whatever it is, something will happen that will give you a right to get angry and bitter. And Paul had a right because by this time in his life, he had been shipwrecked. He had been lied about, slandered about, betrayed by friends who promised they would never leave him. He had gone through so much pain. If there was ever a guy to get angry and shake his fist at God and shake his fist at the world and at the captain of the ship who didn't listen to him, it was right now. He had a reason to be angry. And yet when the viper bit into his arm, he shook it off. When you get bit, do you throw a fit or do you choose to forgive? Because your response will determine your reputation. Your response will be the loudest message you preach. When my dad got hit in the face... The greatest part was not that he got punched. It was that he turned around and preached a message of forgiveness. You have an opportunity to respond with forgiveness because the people of the cross have died to the right to stay angry, offended, bitter, resentful towards people. And so today, it's an invitation. Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 19, Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I want to read to you a story, and then we're going to close. This is a powerful story. Don't miss this. In World War I, there was an evil ruler named Pol Pot in Cambodia. He was killing everyone who was educated, everyone who could read, who had any religious background. He was a communist. He wanted the entire nation to have atheism. He was an atheist. And he put out death squads to go and just kill thousands of people, just shooting people. Because they refused to either be an atheist or they could read or they could write. They were educated. He didn't want any of those people. He would line them up and then shoot them and throw them in a ditch. He got to this one village and there was a group of soldiers that were lining these people up, getting ready to shoot them. And this woman, she screamed these words out. Oh God, God who died by execution, save me. She didn't know his name. She had heard somewhere down the line that there was a God who died by execution. She had heard about a lot of gods, but she felt like this God might be the real God. And she screamed out, God, God who died by execution, save me. In that moment, the soldiers stopped, put down their guns, got into their truck, and drove away. The entire village was spared. The village looked at the woman, confused. They had never known about this God. They didn't know the name of this God, but they began to leave their gods that they had served in Cambodia, and they began to worship and pray to this unknown God who had died by execution to save people. Twenty years later, a missionary showed up into this village of Cambodia. He preached one simple message, and he carried a cross. During the message, he talked about a man named Jesus who went to the cross and died by execution for their sins. In that moment, that one simple message, the entire village began crying. They lifted their hands and started saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They finally had a name for the God who died by execution, and they realized this is who we've worshipped all these years. And I think about the power today that's in this room. We have a God who died for us. He gave himself up for us. And his request for us is that we would come and follow him. And what that involves, what that requires is a daily denial to anger, to lust, to pride, to doing this on your own, to the selfish desires of the flesh. Those 21 Coptic Egyptian that, Christians that were killed just three weeks ago, their names are on the screen. These men refused to deny Jesus as Lord as the executors put guns to their head, as they began to behead these men right there on the seas of Tripoli. These men began to just pray and thank God. Can we give these men a big hand clap? I know we did it last week, but these men took a stand for Jesus. They didn't retaliate. They didn't revenge. They didn't cuss out their executors. In fact, they begin to shout the name, Yeshua, 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 oh Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. They begin to shout, Jesus is Lord. 